Welcome to the Student Ministry Matters podcast. We want to encourage, equip, and connect those with a passion to impact the next generation for Jesus Christ. Student ministry can be a lonely place. You might even feel like you're the only one in your church or community that cares about students. Well, know this, you're not alone. People all across the country are engaging Gen Z and care deeply about the spiritual direction of these young men and women. Whether you're full-time, part-time, bivocational, or volunteer, if you have a heart for students, this is the place for you. Welcome back to the Student Ministry Matters podcast. My name is Dan Carson, and on today's podcast, I've got my partner in crime, Chris Vines. Hey, Dan. Good to be back with you. It is. It feels like it's been a while, and I know because of the SOAR conference and everything else that's been happening in our lives, we haven't had a chance to record together that much. Um, I know that you spoke at the Bud Creek Camp, um, and you spoke at SOAR. Do you have any other camps coming up, or are you done for the summer? Well, I actually just finished uh, another camp down at Daniel Springs, our, our camp down in Gary, Texas, and so... Uh, that was a preteen camp that uh, I just got back from uh, a day ago, and so had a lot of fun there. But yeah, I've been uh, it's been two camps and a conference since it seems like we've connected. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm headed to Mississippi this next week to speak to youth pastors at the BMA of Mississippi State Youth Camp, and so I'm looking forward to that. Right. But on today's podcast, we're going to talk about something that's maybe a little bit more difficult, something that I was exposed to a few summers ago when our guest came and spoke at the Ozarks Baptist Encampment. She shared and it just really opened up some people's eyes to a, a bigger issue. Today, we're going to talk about human human trafficking. And so we've invited Angeline McMurray to be with us. Uh, but before we get to our conversation with her, I want to thank our podcast partner, Central Baptist College of Conway. Central Baptist College is challenging, engaging, and inspiring. And if your student is looking for a place to take that next step in their collegiate journey, have them check out CBC. There's a Christ focus. The people there love students. They want to share Jesus with them and help them understand how to navigate the world after that college experience. And so let me just encourage you, go to cbc.edu, set up an appointment with them. They'd love the opportunity to connect. And maybe you as a, a youth worker are needing to finish up a degree. They offer some online things. They offer uh, something called the PACE program. And so check that out as well. Well, again, That's on today... I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you, man, but we can't miss that BMA promise. Oh, man, we can't. We can't. It's a huge deal. Yeah. Uh, the BMA promise is, is something that's geared for BMA students. Those are people that are part of the Baptist Missionary Association of America, not just Arkansas, but all across the country. If you're part of one of our churches, CBC is going to bridge the gap. So let's say you have financial aid through the government or through wherever you're at. Uh, they're going to help finish out so that you can get all of your tuition paid for. And so you just have to be able to say that you've been a part of a BMA church for at least a year. And so check that out, especially those of our our students who are part of BMA uh, churches. And so don't forget that it's a big step that the college is making, a big investment, but they really want to encourage our students to take that step. 
On today's podcast, we have Angela McMurray. Um, she is the head of We Are Free, and we're just thrilled that she's on the program with us today so that you can learn more about her ministry and what all God is doing. And so, Angela, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, well, first, thanks for having me today. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks to you, Dan and Chris, for making this happen. I appreciate um, your willingness to talk about hard subjects. And so, um, my name is Angeline McMurray. I was born and raised in New Jersey, just outside of Philadelphia. I came from a godly house, you know, godly parents, yeah. godly grandparents. I was raised um, in the church. In fact, I think this just popped in my mind. I think it was when I was born. My mother was coming home from the hospital on a Sunday morning and my dad picked her up and he wasn't directing the car towards home. And so my mother said, where are you going? And he said, well, Sunday morning, we're going to church. And she said, I just left the hospital with a newborn baby. I'm going home. So, you know, I think I went to church when I was, you know, seven days old at that very next week and have been there ever since. Um, so um, in my house, faith was the number one priority. And after that, it was education. And so I was raised um, putting high priority on education. So I went to undergraduate school at Rutgers University. Um, I majored in political science and um, American history. And then beyond that, I went to law school at Rutgers University as well. Graduated with a law degree and really just wanted to practice law for the rest mm -hmm. of my life and travel the world. And God had different plans. And so now I am the head of a ministry that is a voice for those who have been victimized through trafficking. Angeline, uh, one of the things that I love for our listeners to do is just to be able to get to know you a little bit better. So you mentioned that you grew up in a godly home. I, I believe your your father is the pastor there. Is that correct? Yes, my father's a pastor. Um, yeah. And in fact, my father was ordained at the same church um, that he's still pastoring at. So my father's been at the same church and he was ordained right again around the time when I was born. So um, I'm now 48. So my dad's been at the same church for 48 years. That's wow. amazing, right? Yeah, It is amazing. Quite a blessing for that congregation, just that steadiness uh, through yeah. all those years. But well, Tell our listeners how you came to meet Jesus. I know growing up in a in a Christian home that that seems like just a, a easy answer, but how did that happen for you? So it happened for me actually specifically on a Monday night um, after the Lord's Supper communion service. So our church had Lord's Supper on Monday evenings. I think it was like four times a year, every quarter. And I had been wrestling as a young child. I was only six years old. But I had been wrestling with um, my own my own soul, like where I would spend eternity yeah. at that young age. And I was so afraid to die and go to hell, quite honestly. But I didn't understand the concept of like once and for all at the cross, like Christ would know, God would know not just my past sin, but also everything in, in the future, right? And I don't know how the Holy Spirit made it happen, but it became very clear on that Monday night as like the, the beginning, the outset of administering the Lord's Supper. And that night I, I accepted Christ. I hate the terminology. I accepted Christ into my heart. I know it's very like Christian ease language, but I think it was that day that I surrendered myself. And so I mm. knew that I would never, I would never make, there was nothing I could do. I couldn't, I couldn't recognize every sin. There'd be sins that I didn't even recognize and not even seek forgiveness for because I, I wouldn't know about them. Right. Yeah. And I understood that once and in one time in history, if I surrendered, 
I was forgiven and I was like in Christ's hand forever and nothing could remove me from that. And that happened on a Monday night in October when I was six years old. So I guess that was 1981. And I remember getting out of bed to tell my parents I had accepted Christ, you know, that I had now my own relationship with him. And my dad, um, he said, well, you get saved every day. So we'll talk about it tomorrow. And I said, no, this, this was real. This was different. This was different. And so when I started telling my, my dad still, he was like, yeah, okay, we'll talk about it tomorrow. But my mom entertained it a little bit more. And when I started telling my mom, you know, explaining as a six-year-old, what I've just explained to all of you, I, I really clearly remember my mom looking at my dad saying, um, I think she was just saved. Like, maybe we want to talk about this. And, um, it was, it was beautiful because there have been other times in my life all throughout my 20s when I was creating my own chaos and I would come back to, am I really secure in Christ's hand? Like, am I there? And I could go back and point to that moment where I understood. And even though there had been chaos afterwards, I was secure and I am held in the hand of Jesus Christ and nothing's going to change that. That's wonderful. You know, um, one of the things that that I love hearing about, especially for a podcast for full-time, part-time, bivocational volunteer student ministry workers is who invested in your life during your teenage years? I would have to say that, again, that's, that's my parents, my dad specifically, you know, I was raised in a small church. And so I have an older sister. I have an older sister who's two years older than me. And my parents were very intentional about them investing in us and my sister and I, and then also I do have a younger sister. And so when we were in our teen years, they really led the student ministry. So he's pastor of the church, but also there were other volunteers, but he was very much involved in the student ministry. And so um, I didn't really, you know, I viewed my dad as my pastor. He was my pastor, but he really just invested in me and took time and spent time with me and really taught me obviously things about God and the character of God and the nature of who God is and the Holy Spirit transforming us. But he also just invested in me as a person and then identifying my likes and um, discipling that, mentoring that. So, I mean, I can quickly think about events like I love history and it was easy because my dad loves history too. I love history. I love politics. And so when I was a junior in high school, he took me on a, um, a trip and we went, and this sounds so nerdy and so boring, but we explored or we went and visited most of the civil war battlefields, like throughout Virginia, Maryland, and, um, I think it was all Virginia, Maryland, where we were. Um, that's where most of the big ones, you know. And just the talking about the nature of mankind and what you what you stand for, what you dedicate your life to, that all came in my high school years from my dad. I, I wish I could say other people. I mean, if we want to talk about education, things like that, but from a spiritual sense and creating or or shaping me as a person, again, I know I sound boring, but it's my dad. Well, it's not boring at all. I think Chris and I both agree on this fact that student ministry begins in the home. And yeah. so it, it's a fantastic story that your father was so influential there. And of course, that he was the pastor. And so that, that makes sense that he would be. Um, but that's not always the case. In fact, a lot of PKs <laughs> suffer through a whole whole other issues, you know. And so I love hearing that. Um, yeah, and I hate that. I hate that term PK. Um, I yeah. think I, I forgot to. I forgot to mention when I told you about myself in the outset that I am actually I'm married and I have three children, and I don't want to, you know, forget to introduce the the, 
regard to my family, but it was just the other day, my husband referred to me as a PK and I said, yeah, that's not going to go well for you. So I don't like the, because that wasn't my experience in my household. I, I didn't feel that way. So bravo to the pastors yeah. out there that don't do that to their kids. Right. Yeah. Please, please forgive Dan. Okay. I didn't brief him over that. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's on me. To, I didn't tell him that. So anyway, all right. And our listeners just got to, got to see just, just, if you, if you're listening well, you got to see a little bit of the Jersey girl come out right there. And so. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit comes out every now and again, you're going to, you're going to hear that. I try to, you know, keep that a little bit subdued because bless your heart. It might not be so welcome down here, but it's a part of me. <laughs> bless your heart. Well, Angela, um, one of the main things and main reasons that we wanted to have you on the podcast is your connection to your organization. We are free um, deals with the subject of human trafficking. And so just tell us a little bit about that ministry and what what it does, what it means to people um, so that our listeners can better understand. So I think that, you know, there's a lot of when I first started talking about human trafficking, which was all the way back in 2008, there, there was, I don't want to say little known about it, but it was just more you would hear that conversation in pockets of certain people, you know, and now you, you see so much more of it and there's so much more of a buzz about it and, and so much more of a response, like this, this counter movement against what trafficking is, which praise Jesus, we have that because it's so very needed. But I still think there are so many misconceptions around trafficking, especially trafficking here in the United States. And, and I think a lot of them also are in the church, which saddens me. So I think when we talk about we are free, and I do want to give you a little bit, again, I'm a nerdy person, I'm sorry here, but the name we are free, we took it out of the verse in John, where it says, whom the son sets free is free indeed. And so, and the whole concept of we are free is that we, like me, you, Chris, we are free in Christ. And because we're free in Christ, we're working towards the freedom of other people. Like that is what we should be doing. And um, so we're talking about freedom of other people in the sense of human trafficking. It obviously has to do with their physical freedom, right? And so I think we have this idea that human trafficking only happens in do not get me wrong, this does happen. Human trafficking happens where people are kidnapped and kept in, in locked, isolated places where, where we think that's what slavery, you know, when you think back to like slavery in previous generations, previous centuries, you know, those things do happen. But trafficking is so much more where you have a lack of freedom to make your own choices and to determine, I don't want to say your own destiny because of what that some people would imply theologically I'm saying there, but you're not free to live the life that God has intended you to live, to, to experience your own freedom. So let, I'm saying a bunch, but what does that mean practically? We use the term prostitution and that's just a horrible term, not term, but you'll have adult prostitutes in America. But I would venture to say that if we went into the high schools of America, when people talk about what you wanna grow, nobody says a prostitute, right? That's just, that's just not what happens. So then how do women get caught in this cycle? How do people get caught in this cycle? And so you have children in America that are sexually abused, abused in extreme violent forms all throughout their childhood. And as they're experiencing that, and that could be in their own homes, right? So as these children are experiencing this abuse and this dehumanization of them in their own homes, they're losing, they have no idea of their own dignity, of their own self-worth. So you have a broken individual 
And then you have another individual who really is, is looking to make money, right? They're looking for a, a business model. They're an entrepreneur, right? And so how are they going to make their money? Well, I can manipulate this person and sell them for sex and I'm going to make all the money and I'm just a manager. I'm just a handler. So where am I going to get my product from? Well, I get my product from these broken individuals. And so, so much of trafficking is people who were subjected and victimized through horrible levels of abuse. They have no sense of self. And then they end up in being trafficked or being prostituted. Let's say that being prostituted by other people. And that is a lot of the trafficking in America, which we just don't talk about. Now, is there trafficking in America where you have kids coming from other countries, young adults from other countries and brought into this country and being prostituted, sold, forced into labor? Most definitely. But there is still this whole other pool of broken individuals who are abused and are being victimized and exploited in their early teen or young adult years. And we just we don't see that. We don't we don't recognize that as trafficking. I don't know if that helps or if I just created more confusion. Um, no, Angela, I'd like to, I'd like to say something here, you know, kind of with, I think with that, you know, you and I've known each other now for almost 10 years, um, which is kind of crazy to think about, but you know, when, I mean, you and I've been going to the same church for the last 10 years and, uh, and there's a whole back history there that we don't have time to get into. But the point of me bringing that up is that, you know, when we first met, the Lord had, had already put this vision on y'all's hearts and, and you had really pushed all your chips into the middle of the table. You went all in and, and you, you moved from, from Jersey and, and all of that and, and started making big steps in the right direction. And the reason I say that is because when 10 years ago, I don't, I don't, it, it's not to say that I don't mean to imply that what you just said was not on your mind, but I feel like over the last 10 years and correct me if I'm wrong, because that's why I'm asking, I feel like over the last 10 years, your, your focus has, has really honed in on, on what you just said, not, not moving away from the really, can I say drastic uh, situations like you just described where there's, you know, people being sold and, and trafficked in the sense of being in, in physical captivity and all this, but because, I mean, I think when you think about human trafficking, that's, that's what our mind goes to maybe because that's what has been most publicized through movies and different things like that. But it seems like over the last 10 years, you haven't moved away from that, but you've really moved into wanting to educate people into seeing what you just said, that, that trafficking is not just this billboard type status of thing, but it, it's happening and starting within, within homes and very just dark ways. And then it just, it happens, I mean, in our high schools even, and, and, uh, and not just big cities. It's not just happening in big city. I mean, this is happening all over the place. And so uh, am I right in hearing, hearing that, thinking that, um, how, how might you respond to yeah, I'm definitely I'm definitely not going to disagree with you. I also would want to add to that is that maybe I'm I'm maybe I'm getting better at being able to explain or put into words what we're seeing. We always knew that the the pool from where individuals were those who were susceptible to trafficking, those who were potential um victims of trafficking, they did come out of the foster care system. Um here in the United States, most kids being trafficked <clears throat> come out of the foster care system. We always knew that. 
but then to understand or to see how that's played out in real life. And because we are working with the individuals who have walked the, uh, these horrible dark roads, um, we're seeing it more and it's easier to put appropriate verbiage to it. Uh, we have served individuals, we are currently serving clients that are more of um, labor trafficking victims that came from another country. They're, they're here legally, but from another country, and then they were victimized through labor trafficking. We have served individuals um, that were brought here as minors from South American countries, and then they were victimized through labor trafficking, and, sex, and then they experienced sexual abuse as well. But yeah, you are right in saying that the overwhelming number of people we have served are not individuals who are being kidnapped off the street after coming out of a functioning home and not individuals that necessarily come straight out of the foster care system, but really individuals who have been victimized through um, sexual violence and extreme forms of physical violence in their homes throughout their lives. And then in their teen years, they are, it's so easy to groom them because they're they're so broken. So um, yes, you are correct that it's it's the language has grown. And then also the the numbers of what we see are more of again, what you would call an extreme case as a, you know, with bondage and things like that, as opposed to what we've seen of this broken spirit, I would say a broken spirit that then is preyed upon. But here's what I also want to add. And um, I don't have a background in counseling. So um, Dan, your wife is going to listen to this and then pick it all apart. On the recovery process, that restoration area, to a certain degree, the extreme cases are easier to address than the case where you have somebody coming from a lifetime of brokenness because you're having to undo decades of dysfunction and decades of harm perpetrated upon a person with that was like their normal. So for those individuals, I might as well tell them that the, um, the, the sky is green and accept them just to trust me and believe that, you know, because of they've been so conditioned to believe that this is how life is supposed to be. And that that's that's sad. That trafficking is the the culmination of their trauma, but you're really addressing all of these other issues of complex trauma that led to the trafficking. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. That's I appreciate you clarifying that. And and I think yeah, maybe over the last ten years, I think it maybe it's just a testament of of how how you've been educating me, and and so it's just my slowness of of understanding this, um, which which just emphasizes why this is important for youth leaders and just not just youth leaders, but anybody to, to hear what you're saying and to, and to be further educated in the verbiage and in the reality that is human trafficking. Angeline, you mentioned um, serving uh, some, some clients, I, I guess it would be the best description for that. Um, what, what are some of those services that your team offers? So we call it comprehensive care. It is pretty much everything. So, you know, we mm. provide housing, so safe housing, and then all of um, your physical needs. But then we also provide for your psychological needs, your spiritual needs, uh, all of the counseling. We have a whole host of holistic therapies that we offer here on our campus. We have a 45 acre campus. I referenced in the beginning um, my family and just how phenomenal my parents were and how they poured into my life. And so when the Holy Spirit was, was directing us to, to this, we, we, us meaning my husband and I, my husband's very much involved in, in what we do here. 
I thought like, what does that restoration look like? Like how, how do you, how do you address these complex traumas? How, how do you work with an individual where their, their sexual assaults began at the age of four and five? Like you're how, I can't even wrap my mind around my very first memories would be ones of violence being perpetrated against me. Like how do you address those issues? And then I thought about my own childhood and I thought, you know, I only am who I am because of my parents. Like I could have been, it was the providence of God that I was born to David and Carmela. I could have been born to the parents of any of these individuals we serve. And so if you're looking at the difference is family, what we've tried to do is for the clients here, they're definitely not our children, but we've tried to recreate and put in place all of the things that a healthy mom and dad would do to the indiv- would do for their children and put that in place and serve the clients in that way and kind of like boil down 18 years of healthy functioning discipleship mentorship and put that into a two year time span you know um is that easy no but but that that's what we're aiming to do um and it's pretty interesting because I get a lot of training every year from lots of different organizations. And I went to a training last fall and there's an organization that is not faith-based and that, that doesn't, I'm not saying negative or positive things about it, just that they are secular and they're working with young men to try to help them to not become pimps. And so that's pretty interesting because just a little tidbit here, I learned at this training, we're serving and providing the restoration and we're trying to save a trafficking victim one at a time, right? If the statistic is, is that if you change the behavior of one male or female, there's female pimps too, but if you if you get one guy to not turn into a pimp, but instead to become some other member of society, working a regular job, adding value to our culture in a different way, right? If we transform that and take one pimp out of the game, you can save on average 2,500 trafficking victims. So this organization is working on the front end to try to get pimps, like change that, that course of their life. And the way they're doing it is by instituting a model of a male and a female, a mom and a dad discipling, or they would say mentoring this individual so that they get the nurturing aspect. And then also the structural father figure aspect from an individual. And I thought, wow, here you have a secular organization implementing God's plan to help save young men from turning into pimps. Mm -hmm. And so on the flip side, as we're trying to serve the clients, the individuals who have been trafficked, we're trying to give them that family model through the caring individuals, our staff and our volunteers. I know that a big part of it, of what you do is, of course, working with those those clients that are on your campus. Um, but I know the other side of it is education. Um, you speak to groups, you you share with them about the ministry, but not just the ministry. You're talking about foundational issues that kind of like what we're doing here today. Why is it important to talk about these realities to our students? Great question. And I'm so excited you asked because I'm a huge, you know, I'm a huge proponent of education in all things. The more you know, um, I think that was an NBC slogan back in the yeah. 90s, right? The more you, <laughs> the more you know, yeah. So, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not, I don't work for NBC. Um, <laughs> the more you know, the better we are prepared to handle things. And I think, you know, even Dan, you had mentioned that we first met when I spoke at the Ozark Baptist Encampment a number of years ago. And I think, I don't know the number, so I don't want to get this wrong, but even after speaking to those kids, not about what We Are Free does, but what trafficking is and what that looks like and how that can present itself. I believe that the youth leaders there had to make more than 
a couple phone calls to child protective yeah. services because yes. kids were being victimized in their own homes, coming to church on a routine basis and not telling anybody about that because they didn't feel there was an avenue for that. So education is huge because while it's great to provide care to those who come out of trafficking, we should be working on the front end to prevent kids from being groomed and falling into trafficking. And if we're back to what I had shared before, what trafficking, a form of what trafficking looks like here in the United States, you have kids in your youth groups all across this country, all across the state, all across the churches that are, you know, represented the listeners here who are potentially being groomed on many levels. Um, they're being groomed by the people they know. They're being groomed through social media. And, and we have to talk about these things, especially if these things aren't being talked about in the home. Now, when it comes to, we keep, I keep saying we have to talk about these things. We have to talk about these things. So what are these things? And so the, the thing that is scary is that you have to talk about the issues surrounding our culture and how we view sexuality and how we view what God's plan is for things, what God's design is, why we have it, why God has a plan, why God has a design. And um, I don't know that parents are talking about that. You know, I think that I think we're at a place finally where parents are talking to their kids about the birds and the bees. And again, I'm not trying to either be funny or inappropriate, but I was shocked. I was shocked when I talking with other Christian friends of mine that their parents had never talked to them about anything till like the day before they got married. And I'm thinking that's insane, right? To, to me, that's insane. My parents talk to me about things. There's things I wish my parents would have talked to me about more things, actually. But we live in a totally different time. And if parents aren't talking to their kids about stuff, or if they're just giving them basic stuff, then we're really doing a huge disservice to our youth. Because if you look at any of the statistics, girls suffer with more anxiety. Um, and, and boys do as well. It's just underreported. You have social media, which can take anyone in your youth group to any place in the world hearing any message. And the evil one, like it's just such a spiritual warfare, but there's all of these messages of your anxiety will be eased if you do this. This is what you need. This will make you feel good about this. And we somehow put it on kids that, oh, you shouldn't have done that. Like, you need to be different. It's good to be different. And I agree with all that messaging, right? But there are times where I don't want to be the different one. It's weird to be the odd one out. And I think that any adult will recognize that. But for some reason, when it comes to these issues with our kids, we just expect them to be like these, these amazing Joan of Arc warriors against all that culture is giving them. But we're not necessarily even giving them the, the tools to fight against that. Does that make sense or am I just all over the place? <laughs> no, it makes sense. My question is, why do you think it's so hard for us in the church to talk about these things? I just think there's a stigma. I just think there's a stigma and it's hard. Like, I mean, and we talk about these things. We want to be appropriate, right? I don't, I have a 14 year old daughter. I don't want to say things. I don't want to give her too much. That's too much for her to handle at 14 years old. Right. But I also don't want her to be so naive that when she's seeing other things on social media or other people are talking about things, she feels like, I don't even know what this is. I think that we talk about these things very textbook. 
In fact, I'm being very vulnerable right here. And this, this is funny. It's laughable. But I actually asked my father about the birds and the bees one afternoon when I heard something at public school and I didn't know what it meant. And I was trying to figure this out. And so I asked my dad and he didn't really want to talk to me about it. He wanted me to ask my mom. I said, I, I've asked you. I want you to answer this question for me. So he brought out the Encyclopedia Britannica, like the, the burgundy book with the gold yep. leaf. You know. And I learned about the birds and the bees from my dad. Very textbook, literally textbook. I think we do that to our kids, but then the whole world's not talking about this in terms of textbook. It's talking about how, in terms of how you feel. And we are God. It's so beautiful. He created us to be these amazing human beings that are not robotic, right? But we actually have feelings and we respond to images and we respond to things. And parents don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about that with my 14 year old. Like if you see this image, your body could respond in this way. Like, wow, that's hard. No, even the people listening right now are like, we're supposed to talk to our kids about this stuff. Well, <laughs> yes, you are, because somebody else is going to talk to them about it. And someone else may have already talked to them about it. And you really want to control that narrative. You don't want somebody else writing this story for what your kids learn, what your students learn here and their experiences around all of this subject matter, because nobody else is shy about it. The church is the only ones who are shy about it. You know, Angela, I'm thankful that you're saying that. And it makes me think about something. I mean, you know, you're talking about being vulnerable. I'm going to be vulnerable right here. I mean, something that's been on my mind from a from a youth minister standpoint, from a youth pastor standpoint, uh, and also from a parent standpoint, these these conversations are needed, right? Uh, and I think sometimes it's, as a youth pastor, you look at the crowd that you've got in front of you week after week, and you start thinking about like, okay, you start wondering, okay, who's talking to them about this, right? And, and you can immediately start thinking, okay, well, maybe their parents are, but then you start thinking, well, some of these have broken, there's broken homes in front of me. Um, and, then, and then you think, well, maybe they're getting it from school, but then you're like, okay, well, if they're getting it from school, then they're probably not getting the great thing. And so you can easily, as a youth pastor, I think it's easy to start seeing yourself as the one who needs to stand in the gap and trying to, to do that. And I'm not gonna say that there's never a time or place that that's appropriate. But I think what I'm hearing you say is that we do need to be sensitive to the language and how that's presented and all of that. In other words, it needs to be calculated, but maybe more, more importantly, it's something I've been thinking about is, you know, as a parent, I have a very similar, you know, uh, story as what you just described in my personal life of how it was, how it was, taught to me right and i i want to i want to educate my kids in other words i want to have those hard conversations but i often find myself not knowing really where to start and not really knowing what to say um and and honestly thinking about like okay what age do i need to start having this conversation and at that age what needs to be said all this kind of stuff and so i feel like at that point right there there's a gap where we as youth ministers and, and just pastors and people in the church who work in the church can can maybe be most effective is actually to help educate parents and, and to open up conversations with parents before we start just broadcasting stuff from the stage, if you know what I'm saying. Um, I don't know. What do you what do you think about that? No, I think that that's a great plan. And I think that's a great plan. I think it's, I mean, a, a great idea, right? And a great approach because, so my, my daughter is in your youth group, Chris. And so, yeah, at some point, if she came home and said, so now I'm going to sound all um, hypocritical and, and con 
contradicting myself, right? But if she came home and said, oh, Mr. Chris said this, 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 I'd say, what? And then I'd say, you know, I'd call you on the phone. Are you talking about this? And what else did you say? Now, you I would call me on the phone. <laughs> Which is you what I, lo I love that about you and Keita. Yeah, you, you would call me on the phone. I love it. Well, who else am I going to talk to? And so again, parents, if you're listening, if you have questions about the youth group, just call the youth leader and talk to him. There's, there's no, you know, I, I'm not sure if Chris loves it about us or hates it about us. But <laughs> oh, I, I, mean, I mean, I'm not just saying it. I, I love it because one, it holds me accountable. And, and, and like, I also know that if you guys have a question, it's a genuine question and you're not going to just be passive aggressive by making some kind of social media posts about that youth guy. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. That, that, so we, I need to answer these questions, but the, the people from Jersey, we're not passive aggressive. We're just aggressive. So, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> but I think it's great to start with with parents and help parents to, to understand how to talk to their kids about this. And but and I think that then beyond the parents, there has to be put in place and maybe the different different churches do this. They all do it differently. But I think that beyond that beyond the conversation with the parents, then maybe with parents involved to a certain degree, right? Not having parents run the student ministry. I'm not suggesting that, but have parents involved and talk about how this subject matter would be handled in the in the the class, um, you know, in a youth session. And it could be that you don't even do it yourself. Like again, you I go and we speak at churches and we speak to youth groups and I think, you know, Dan was there. I think it was very, no one complained to me about how I presented this issue at the Ozark Baptist encampment. Um, but also, especially, I think, telling when we spoke with the women, because we spoke with the boys, the women and the, the boys and the girls, men and the women separately. We didn't do this in a co-ed situation, which I think is number one, start there. You don't do this in a co-ed situation. When... I sat with the women, and of course, Dan, you weren't in that session, but on the last night there, I asked um, everybody to kind of just like head down, eyes closed. We weren't doing an altar call, but I really wanted people to respond to with women if they had been assaulted or sexually abused in their lives. And we started with something very like what some people would consider not very benign, right? Like unwanted kissing or unwanted touching, which I will tell you both that is not benign, but in our culture, that's viewed as some level of benign. And we went from there all the way up to, and I named different acts. Like, has anybody ever experienced this? Has anybody ever experienced this? Has anybody experienced this? And it culminated with, has anybody been violently sexually assaulted? What would be categorized as rape? And at the end of that, and make, it could bring me to tears now. This was years ago. At the end of that, more than 80% of the women were standing, the students and the adult women. And women stood up for the last question. And I'm like, you guys, these people are in our churches. They're in your, your groups. And we're not talking about it because we just, it's hard. It is hard, but we're living in a hard culture now. And if we're not talking about these things, and and or if we're talking about them in terms of like, it's over there. So it's not over there. It's right in front of your face. And, and we should be getting help for the people who have been harmed, but also talking about this. So the people who are um, the people who are potentially going to be harmed, they have an outlet or they have some knowledge before going into it. You know, um, I think that this this type of human trafficking is very much of like 
what is it, the toad in the hot water, like you don't drop it in the boiling water, but it just gets, get, keeps getting warmer and warmer and warmer. And so you have individuals who start with like, maybe I shouldn't be engaged in this activity, but then, yeah, it's, it doesn't, I feel bad afterwards, but I feel good in the midst of it. So it's okay. And then that grows to the next thing. And then that grows to the next thing. And, and it's always going to be more and more and more and more and more. And then young girls find themselves in places where they're in too deep. There's shame. There's guilt. They go to youth group and all they hear is this is God's design. This is God's plan. And you never step outside of it. And if you do, you're at fault. And so they, they walk around with that shame and guilt, but then you have some potential pimp who's continuing to do the grooming of, I love you. No, you're okay. This is good. This is this, this is that. They're going to come to youth group less and less and less and spend more time with that person who's making them feel good. And the next thing you know, they're, they're 17, 18, 19, and they're being prostituted in your own community. And we just don't know about it because it's not on street corners. And I think that's where that's where the church could do a lot to help those people, to help those students. Student leaders could do a lot to help their kids. What would you say to the youth guy who who hears that and uh, to the youth leader, I say youth guy, but to the youth leader who, who hears that and would nod their head to that, say, yes, I agree, this needs to be talked about. But but then there's there's fear about what next. Right. In other words, like when you open when you open that can, if you will. Right. And and, and you do it. I think I think I don't think anybody hearing you is saying that this should just be done flippantly. It needs to be calculated. Verbiage needs to be done correctly. Even consideration of what the group looks like. In other words, guys and girls and, and all of those practicalities. Right. So it's, it's probably not the wisest thing to just stand up on a Wednesday night in front of all of your group and then just start blasting this out. Uh, that might not be the best approach. But but so understanding all that. But then the the what next? Right. In other words, what what do you do when you have an individual who who raises their hand and says this has happened, this is happening to me, and all of a sudden now you're now you're you're in completely different waters, right? And and I think sometimes a youth leader maybe in their mind goes there and thinks, oh man, I I don't know if I signed up for that. I don't know if I want to. You know what I'm saying? Like I mean, there's. I think there's fear there. So what would you say to that person who maybe is at that point? So I would say that I think there's plenty of great curriculums out there. And one, I'm actually, I have I, I can see that the curriculum, but I forget the name of the person who, who did it. But it, I think it's called um, God's Design for Sexuality. And it's a newer curriculum. And from what I've seen about it, it's phenomenal. So I think first you have to reach out and talk to somebody who knows something about this field. So, you know, I'll give you my email address, send me an email. I would love to provide resources and then laying out a plan of how you can approach this. I think that you have to be ready with those responses. So there's simple things that you could use. I mean, they're not so simple, but there's a book called Healing the Wounded Heart. And that's written by a gentleman, Dan Allender. Dan Allender is an, an amazing person of faith who has worked in the area of sexual abuse and sexual trauma for decades. I've been to some of his trainings, his stuff is phenomenal. And so he has some great curriculum, or not curriculum, but books and workbooks and things that, that, that could help people. I think that you would have to do beyond just the youth leader. I think you need the leadership of the church, the pastor to um, understand how to address mental health issues or have in plan. If, if someone is not, I say struggling in this area, if someone has been harmed in this area and, and is walking around with this weight then we need to help them and give them the resources, the outlets to address that. 
I think that an easy way is we start with just we're going to talk about trafficking, right? So you're doing an education program for youth about trafficking, what it looks like. Some people start to identify themselves in, in the stories that we share about people who have been victimized through trafficking. And then you have just a, a plan in place. And again, I'm always accessible and always willing to talk to pastors or youth leaders about what that plan could look like, how those conversations are set up to, to move forward. Um, but if you, no one is in favor of trafficking, right? So there's very few parents who would have a problem with a program on trafficking. So, and then education programs where you raise awareness on trafficking, you touch on that issue. And then the youth leader could take it to a deeper issue where we they say, hey, we heard about this. We don't ever want anybody here to potentially be a victim of grooming. So we're gonna go and we're gonna start this like short-term study where we address these certain issues. And that's when you separate out the male and the female. You bring in some, some moms or other individuals, individuals such as myself. You, you have a curriculum where you go through things. If anyone here, even, even in, I don't know how it is in Arkansas, but I know how it is in other states, but in most schools, you're getting the whole conversations about this in school, right? The, the biology aspect of it. And then now there's different cultural overlays on top of that biological aspect of it. You're getting that in your health classes. So the church can do the same thing, right? In an appropriate way. And I think that's the path forward. I see a great need for parents, for student ministers, for pastors to just simply be willing to talk about some of these things. And too often we just try to hide them. Um, but we can't do that. And in our house, um, with me and my kids and my wife, you know, my my poor kids, they had a pastor and a counselor for parents. We talked about everything. And so that made it easy to talk about what might be considered the tough stuff later on. So just talk to your kids, talk to your students about everything. And then when the tough situations are there, uh, those those doors will be open. Well, Angela, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We're going to include some of the resources, including your email there in our show notes, because we want people to be able to reach out to you. This has been a not just fascinating, but more heartbreaking uh, conversation today as we've talked about some of these things. I know that when I think of human trafficking, I often think of what I've seen on TV and movies, you know, kids from other countries being kidnapped and then taken to another country and sold into slavery, essentially. Um, but knowing that it's much more than that is important. It's important for our educational status, but also for us who are working with students and see some of these things happening. Um, you know, there there is the issue of being a mandated reporter. If you work with students and you work in schools, um, wherever you, there are people that have to report and need to report um, when we see some of that danger. And that's what happened at Ozarks Baptist Encampment when some calls were actually made. But Angeline, thank you again so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Listeners, um, we are just so thankful that you've been here for this conversation. Um, but before we sign out totally, uh, Chris, you got anything else we want to ask Angeline or? I, I don't have any other questions because I, I, I well, let me take that back. I do have questions, but I'm not not for right now. I, I do want to just say um, to our listeners that you you've heard kind of some timestamps throughout. You know, this is this is not something that has only just occurred within the mind and heart of Angeline. Uh, I think she she even said that 2008 was maybe um, when it first started, or even when it she started really getting serious about what God was leading her into doing. 
Um, I've known her now for almost a decade personally and professionally. And, and I can just say that she, everything that she says, like when she says reach out to her, when she says she's ready and, and willing and wants to help help you as a student leader, as a pastor, as an individual to understand these issues and to not just understand them, but to know what the next steps are for that. She means it. Uh, she has she mm. has literally put her money where her mouth is. Um, I, I could I, I'm not the one to tell her whole story, but I know that if you gave her a call, you gave her an email, she would love to to tell you that. And so I just want to vouch and say personally that this is what she and her family are called, literally called to do, and they have been saying yes to that for um, a number of years now. And the Lord has graciously blessed their faithfulness. And so uh, there's a there's a whole testimony and more within that. But I just want to say that uh, she is a, a trusted source to listen to and to reach out to if you're interested in in doing so. Thank well, you, you, Chris. Thank you for really kind words. And thank you. And, and I do. I, please reach out to me. I'm more than happy to help. Uh, we want to serve less survivors. We want to help more individuals on the prevention side. So please mm. reach out. Well, we hope to have Angelin um, at our Student Ministry Workers Retreat this fall at CBC on September the 16th. If she's not, we're definitely going to have some information about her organization in our goodie bag. Uh, we want you to know more about her and about the fight that she is involved in. And so we're just so happy again that you've you've downloaded, you've listened, that you've been a part of this conversation. And again, these are tough conversations, but our students are faced with tough days now and in the days ahead. And so we want to keep pushing forward. We want to keep loving on students because student ministry matters. Thanks for listening to the Student Ministry Matters podcast. Get connected at studentministrymatters.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Student Ministry Matters. Until next time, keep up the great work with your students because the work matters.